This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. We warned you about this, told you that this was coming, that the Democrats weren't going to respect any of the rules of the road, that there wasn't going to be some coming together or unity. That didn't last long at all, did it? They couldn't even go a couple of months pretending that Biden was really going to unify the country. Now, that was what people were sold. We were in a very difficult year, the pandemic. Folks were scared. And in response, the media knew, the Democrat Party knew, they had to put a guy who just seemed somewhat non-threatening forward and who promised to just be America's grandfather. You know, just no joke. Here I am, Joe Biden. And we see what that really results in. And it's just the progressive left wing administration that you would have gotten with any number of other Democrat candidates. In fact, I kind of wish it had been Bernie Sanders instead. So at least they'd be honest about their socialist intent. But another place where there's not a lot of honesty these days is online. There are people who are doing a whole bunch of things you need to be aware of. that are targeting you for one. They want to get access to your private information to sell. You know, that's happening. Everything you're doing online, that's happening all the time. Two, there are people that are trying to get access to your information to steal it to make money, meaning that they're going to actually take your credit card or whatever they can get off your computer and engage in criminal fraud. And then you've also got, on top of all that, the censorship from big tech and from the social media companies. How can you protect yourself from this? It's actually really easy. ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN gives you a virtual private network. A virtual private network means that you have protection for your web activities. Everything you're doing on your phone, your laptop can be protected from snooping, from spying, from theft, because they encrypt your data and they hide your IP address so that companies can't just track and spy on you. It's so easy. It costs you less than six bucks a month, give or take. And you just download the app to your phone, you set it up, and you're protected. You need this level of protection, and ExpressVPN is by far the best in the business. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go to the VPN that I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. We keep telling ourselves that they won't go all the way, right? That's what the conservatives, that's what the go-along-to-get-along GOP wants to tell themselves at night so that they can sleep and that they won't worry that much about the future of the country. And yet the Democrats show their hand, and sure enough, institutions, respect for our norms, all that stuff that they talked about, During the Trump administration, it was just that empty words in the pursuit of Democrat power. I bring you the latest here with Democrats planning to unveil a bill that would add Supreme Court justices. That's right. A court packing bill. And it's going to go from 9 to 13 if they get their way. Can I just dramatically expand the court? This hasn't happened in over 150 years. And this is a reminder of just who the Democrats really are. They are authoritarians. They believe in one thing and one thing only, and that is the expansion of their power. They are absolutists. They, they act with a certainty that they know what is best, they know what is right for everyone in the country, they know what's right for you, and you're not really allowed to say anything about it. You're just told what to do. And if they get a clear majority on the Supreme Court, then there will be no break in their minds. Because do you think they're going to think about it this way? You think they'd go for court packing and not break the filibuster? I think you could say this is the Democrat break the glass plan. They've decided to just go for it. If not now, when? Think about what they could do here. Think about the cascading effect. If they say, well, we're actually going to we're actually going to pack the Supreme Court. And then they decide, well, we've already 
We've already crossed the Rubicon because that's exactly what this is. This is the Rubicon, my friends, for our government. And they say, well, we've already done that. So why not take it a step further and also get rid of the filibuster? So then you would have no legislative check on the Democrat Party and no judicial check on the Democrat Party. They, They could get rid of both of these. They could very easily do this if they want to. And really what may happen, of course, is they do the filibuster first and then do the Supreme Court bill. But these these are the steps that they can take to create a one party state. And I want I want you to ask yourself this question now. Put aside what you think is normative. Put aside what you think uh, we're, we're supposed to believe if the Democrat Party could if the democrat party could get rid of the republican party right now in one fell swoop couldn't they do that wouldn't they do that right what would stop them you don't think they'd want to get rid of republicans you don't think that they would like to be a party with 70 or or 80 percent control of the electorate and then, then there's this GOP, this, this rump, this old vestige of a GOP that exists as just the controlled opposition. That happens in other democracies around the world. You know, this is not something that's unprecedented. A one-party state with no real check on the control of the Democrat Party. And at that point, it just grows and grows. We've already got an open border, friends. We've already got... Modern monetary theory at work, as far as the Democrats are concerned, spend whatever they want to spend. Where are we able to slow them down? Where is our hashtag resistance? Well, as you're seeing, doesn't uh, doesn't seem very effective at all, does it? Haven't been able to really figure out how to get this going. And those of us who were warning about this from the very beginning Now point to this and just say, we told you for those independents, for those never Trumper Republicans, for whatever moderate Democrats there are in the country, you don't get a moderate administration just because you have an old, boring politico like Joe Biden at the top. That's not what happens with the modern Democrat Party. That's not how this goes. And all the things that we talk about that the Democrats want to do the most radical Green New Deal agenda, the taking of your guns. What's to stop them if they eliminate the filibuster, which they can they can very well do. What's to stop them if they eliminate the filibuster and if they pack the Supreme Court from enacting any part of their agenda? Who's going to tell them no? And I sit here and I'm very frustrated, of course, by what happened in the last election and the fact that we have to come to grips as a party with the fact that we are in a very weak position right now, right after having a president that we believe to be part of the beginning of a political movement. Now, I think there's a comeback in our future. And if I were to have guessed after this last election, when would we feel? I'll just say it feel the most depressed to be a conservative. It was going to be right about starting now and going into the fall. Here's my case for optimism, though, because, yeah, right, right, right at this moment, it feels pretty bleak. I get it. But here's my case for optimism. The Democrats aren't good at governing. In fact, the greatest enemy that the Biden administration has is the observation of the American people with respect to what Joe Biden's doing. There is nothing. There is nothing that will make people turn on this administration more than actually having to live through the policies and decision making of the socialist Democrat apparatus. That is the single best machine for Republican turnout and for flipping independents and and even some moderate Democrats to our side in the midterms. What's going on at the southern border where I will be next week for a few days is a disaster And the Democrats cannot and will not stop it. What's going on with our spending will lead to inflation. This will lead to real economic pain for people, particularly particularly those 
who live off of of wages and have been trying to save money to try to build assets to get ahead of the paycheck to paycheck cycle that so many millions of Americans are in. It's going to hurt them because everything, food, gas, housing gets more expensive. These things are going to occur, never mind the foreign policy challenges that we're seeing arise here. The Biden team is simply not up to it. Joe Biden is not up to it. You think this is a smart guy? You think this is somebody who really has wisdom and good judgment? He never did before now, and even the Democrats knew it. But we're supposed to forget all of that? We're to pretend that Joe Biden's actually a winner just because he happened to win this last election after losing so many attempts before to be president because he was the man for the moment of fraud that the Democrats were perpetrating against the American people, pretending that we were going to get a different administration from what we got. Think of all the times they lectured us about how Trump was undermining our sacred institutions. And now, in your own head, just just take a moment to consider what institution did Trump really undermine what institution was trump willing to put through the kind of upheaval the democrats are talking about now whether it's the filibuster in the senate or even bigger the supreme court i mean can't democrats understand what this leads to but there's there's a a childishness a selfishness and a short-sightedness at the heart of so much of the democrat party's Id, so much of its emotional thinking. Harry Reid decided to invoke the nuclear option when they had a Senate majority of the Democrat side. And then that led to changes the Democrats didn't like because all of a sudden it was a simple majority vote to get through judges. They started it. And then when it happened exactly as everybody warned it would, that there would be an, an equal and opposite reaction in a sense to their usurpation, to their power grab. And they decided, well, now we're just going to just escalate it even more. And that's the phase we're in right now. We were told they'd never use the nuclear option, and then they did. Under the Obama administration, Harry Reid hit the nuke button for the filibuster in the Senate on judicial nominees. And now we're at a point where they're just saying, maybe we should get rid of that entirely, the filibuster, and... And we should pack the Supreme Court. Do they really think that it would stop at 13? No, of course not. The Republican Party, the Republican Party would be a bunch of cowards and wimps if they didn't decide the next time they were in power that they would add a few judges of their own. You know, this this is what happens. Give it, you know, 10 years, you're going to have 20 Supreme Court justices or, you know, you'd have to have 21, I guess. You have an odd number, but you understand what I'm saying just keeps ratcheting up because they've abandoned shared principle in the pursuit of power central to the Democrat ethos these days. They simply don't care. And here's the other part of this. And this is why I brought up the one party state idea. There is a belief among Democrats that if they go scorched earth right now, it won't matter. It won't matter what the Republican Party thinks or wants to do in response when power switches hands because they think they can prevent that from ever happening. That's what really is in the back of the minds of the leftist socialist strategists who are actually making the calls behind the scenes. Can they effectively uh, neuter and cast aside the Republican Party once and for all if they just go for it? And this is under the Biden administration. You'll notice it really is just a continuation of the Obama administration approach, which was whatever you got to do to win and whatever you got to do to crush the other side. Break any rules you got to break. Sick the IRS on your political opponents. You know, use uh, executive orders in ways that are clearly abusive of constitutional separation of powers and whatever you got to do. Pen and a phone. Just go for it. I hope everyone is waking up to what is happening around us right now. As I said, this is the Rubicon. The Democrats are looking at the water as it rushes by. And the only question remains as to what we will do if and when they cross it.
Parts of our country are backsliding into the days of Jim Crow, passing laws that harken back to the era of poll taxes, when black people were made to guess how many beans, how many jelly beans in a jar, or count the number of bubbles in a bar of soap before they could cast their ballot. Backsliding into the days of Jim Crow. What a horrific, awful, dishonest thing for the President of the United States to say. Reckless. Absolutely reckless demagoguery. But this is what Joe Biden's done his whole career. Joe Biden is, at his core, just a slimy fraud. He's always just done whatever would be most beneficial for him within the Democrat apparatus. That's his whole career. He stands for nothing. He stands for Bidenism, which stands for whoever is going to uh, either write him the biggest check or provide him the biggest political boost. This guy is effectively a weather vane. He goes wherever the forces around him push. He is inept at anything else. And this is why he has this long history of gaffes, they say. But really, the gaffes are just a result of this being a man of poor judgment who's not very bright. Joe Biden's just not a very smart guy. We all know it. We all can see it. He's he's never been impressive in any way. I mean, to be the 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 senator from a state of Delaware. OK, you know, whoop D. Who cares? Uh, and yet Joe Biden is president of the United States. What what a sad state of affairs. Right. What a what a sad situation this is. Joe Biden saying just destructive things at this moment in time when we all know that there's an expectation of riots going beyond what's already happening. I mean, you think the riots in Minneapolis are are bad now. Think about what they'll be like next week after the Chauvin trial. Now, you know, who knows what the final outcome will be? I don't believe. I mean, if they charge Chauvin with with uh, with felony murder, I mean, they're just then now we're just actually going beyond what any reasonable person could think to punish people for the the benefit of the mob. But we're a country that now is increasingly operating at the whims of the mob. You see this? You see how this happens? Look at the response you get from our media apparatus. Look at what's said by the journos and the and elected Democrats from Biden to Pelosi to Schumer to AOC to Tlaib to all of them. Look at the way they speak about this movement, this BLM movement and these rioters. Let's just all be honest about this. And I, I've written about this today at BuckSexon.com. Let's just say it. Riots are self-indulgent idiocy. Not only do they break laws and hurt people, they don't even bring about an outcome of benefit for anyone other than a very small circle of elites and activists who either cheer this on from afar or gather social capital for themselves by making excuses for it. I mean, does anybody really think that there has been a single, a single benefit from all of this, a single worthwhile aspect of it? I mean, put aside for a moment the appalling immorality of looting businesses because people are upset or systemic oppression or whatever childish justification is offered at the at that moment for Bayham, right? What has come out of BLM that has made anything better for anyone? Could any of the BLM organizers name a single concession or change resulting from their agitation that actually made lives better? Of course not. And let's be honest about this. Defund the police is possibly the most moronic, reckless political slogan uttered in living memory. But the BLM movement acts as though it's the rallying cry of a new civil rights struggle. I mean, it's hard to take the BLM activist claim seriously when so many times these mostly peaceful protests end with mobs stealing sneakers and designer handbags. 
A healthy nation does not feel under siege at the whims of the mob. And that is where we are, friends. People get angry. They take to the streets. Our political class tries to placate them or treats them as heroes. They should be universally condemned. And it's not about protests. Nobody cares. They protest all day. Get out with your placard. Do whatever you want. Protests are fine. But they know that won't actually have the intended effect. Why? Because their argument is weak. What they're claiming that law enforcement is evil and racist is not true. And most Americans know that. So what do they do? They add a layer of intimidation to it. Antifa, BLM, they decide that it's not just their voices that must be heard. It's the feeling of the bricks hitting cops in the face. It's the sound of shattered glass from stores in your neighborhood and the sense that you cannot trust the political class to protect you and they want to disarm you simultaneously. I believed that our presence in Afghanistan should be focused on the reason we went in the first place, to ensure Afghanistan would not be used as a base from which to attack our homeland again. We did that. We accomplished that objective. I said, among with others, we'd follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell if need be. That's exactly what we did, and we got him. It took us close to 10 years to put President Obama's commitment to, uh, into form, and that's exactly what happened. Osama bin Laden was gone. That was 10 years ago. Think about that. We delivered justice to bin Laden a decade ago, and we've stayed in Afghanistan for a decade since. He says they're all going to be out. All of our troops will be out by September 11th of this year. should be noted that this is on a timeline that was put forward by Trump before the Biden administration even came into office. But like I've said before, I'm not changing my opinion on this because we have a different commander in chief. I think enough is enough. And I want to also make sure I'm very clear uh, when I say that I believe that the situation in Afghanistan will will likely deteriorate after U.S. troops are pulled out. Now, to what extent, uh, that's anybody's guess right now, but it's it's not going to be good. But we also shouldn't establish not only a, a pattern of staying in a country and trying to build it, trying to create stability in a foreign country that we don't have an immediate national security interest in. Um, and that's putting, you know, that's, one way of just saying we can't do this nation building thing. And then beyond that, there's always the possibility that if you were there, your mission set will escalate and the Taliban's not going anywhere. We figured that out. There's that old, I think it's attributed to Mullah Omar that, you know, we have all the clocks, but they have all the time, which is true in a sense. And so we're going to go through this, uh, this, this process of a withdrawal. Remember the Obama administration withdrew from Iraq, and that did lead to the rise of ISIS, and we ended up having a a huge mess in the region. That is also possible here with Afghanistan. We need to be very straightforward about that, that this could have some rapid deterioration, and and then you'll, you'll have another major problem on your hands. But the alternative is to just stay there forever. And, and all of, I can tell you this, I don't, I'm not doing some, official polling or anything like that, but all of the Afghan combat vets that I know that I've talked to you about this say that, that they just feel like it's, it's time uh, enough, enough is enough here. And we, we need to get out. And so here's Biden telling us all that, you know, the Afghans have got to take command here and do their thing. Play it. 2008. Weeks before we swore the oath of office, President Obama and I were about to swear. President Obama asked me to travel to Afghanistan and report back on the state of the war in Afghanistan. I flew to Afghanistan to the Kunar Valley, a rugged, mountainous region on the border with Pakistan. What I saw on that trip reinforced my conviction that only the Afghans 
have the right and responsibility to lead their country, and that more and endless American military force could not create or sustain a durable Afghan government. I believed that our presence in Afghanistan should be focused on the reason we went in the first place. The mission has been accomplished in Afghanistan of destroying al-Qaeda for a long time. We did transition into this other mission of trying to make Afghanistan a successful country that can defend itself and and maintain its own borders and have a, a functioning government. And then it turned into, you know, school for girls and human rights and things like this. All worthy goals, but not our fight. And there has been no real way to take the mission beyond where it's been for about the last decade. And I can tell you, having seen the assessments at the very highest level from a decade ago when I was in the CIA and working on the Afghan issue and and in Afghanistan for months, uh, that there was no realistic plan to get us to the point where the conditions-based approach would let us leave. There was no realistic plan. We kept having people come forward uh, who would say, oh, well, we're just going to do this. We're going to train the Afghan army and we're going to train the Afghan national police. So, And somebody would then probably bring up in the conference room or wherever, hey, but that was the plan two years ago and this is where we are now and it's be quiet. We'll do it better this time. And it just kept happening and happening. So we had the Obama administration, if you remember, surged to over 100,000 troops at one point in Afghanistan. Massive force escalation. And here we are again, having a conversation about can we pull out the last three or 4,000 soldiers from Afghanistan? You know, they told us if we didn't have a bigger military presence in Syria, remember that after we uh, crushed, after Trump crushed the Islamic State, there was a debate. I remember it. Oh, we need to maintain a longer-term presence there. I, I know there's some, there's some small number of you know, U.S. operators, U.S. special forces, and, and others who are still in the region, but they did not. Uh, th- there was not this long-term, large-scale military presence to hold it all together, and we had to fight against that. I, I think it's fascinating that Biden is claiming that this decision is not a tough one for him. Here's what he said. Play six. Was it a hard decision to make, sir? No, it wasn't. To me, it was absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. We went for two reasons. We went to Bin Laden and the end of safe haven. From the very beginning, if you may recall, I never thought we were there to somehow unify Iraq. I mean, excuse me, Afghanistan. It's never been done. It's never been done. It's never never been done. I mean, you know, this is the guy who's making the decisions. But I'll say this. I think it is. I think it's the right decision. But let's frame this in the right way. Joe Biden is fulfilling the timeline of the plan set forth by the Trump administration before him. And I just want to put this out there. Do you think there's a very different approach in the way the media is covering this? Do you just, I mean, I know this is a silly question because you know the answer, but really, just, just take a moment. You know, is it, is it really the case that our national media believes that when Joe Biden does something, it is brilliant, but when Trump wanted to do the same thing or Trump wanted to do it before Joe Biden did, it was reckless, it was spur of the moment? Oh, yes, friends. That is absolutely the case. Hat tip here to uh, Drew Holden for pulling together from the uh, from a from D.C. He's a freelance commentary writer pulling together this thread on Twitter. Here's what he had today. President Biden announced his intention. I'm sorry, this is from yesterday to end the war in Afghanistan to great media fanfare. You may remember way back in 2019 and 2020. President Trump said the same thing. Let me know if you can spot the difference in coverage then versus now. When Trump said we were leaving, CNN quoted the NATO Secretary General with a stark warning about how dangerous the move would be. But when Biden's decision was announced, well, that one was different. Here, here's, 
Here is the way CNN covered. I mean, this is a fun game, isn't it? Uh, CNN covered Trump's announcement of the desire to withdraw from Afghanistan. Quote, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, or I guess it's Jens Stoltenberg, issued a stark warning that any premature withdrawal from Afghanistan could be dangerous a day after reports that President Trump is eyeing a troop drawdown against the advice of the nation's top military officials. So Trump says it, and they, they CNN runs off to NATO uh, and NATO's secretary general and then just has this general, you know, Nate, America's top military officials disagree. So basically Trump is reckless. Trump is doing this. Okay. CNN, when Joe Biden announces it, quote, as President Biden prepares to lay out his plan to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, a source familiar with his thinking tells CNN's Christian Amanpour that he thinks no amount of U.S. troops in the country could be a game changer anymore. So it's just when Biden does it, it's let's let's uh, tell everybody what his thinking is. Let's be the PR team for uh, President Joe Biden. But when Trump announced that it, it's let's go to a foreigner and get his opinion and then say that the whole U.S. military apparatus is, is opposed against him. It's it's amazing. On uh, CNN yesterday, this is just reckless and it is really risky, says Brett Bruin of Trump's plan to withdraw troops from Iraq and Afghanistan. You're not sharing information with the incoming administration, so the likelihood that something could go wrong is very, very high. CNN reporting on that was when Trump announced it. CNN reporting on Biden's announcement. Former President Obama praised President Biden's bold leadership for his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th, saying that it is time to recognize that we have accomplished all that we can military and militarily in America's longest war. A little more here. CNN diplomats worry Trump's desire to withdraw U.S. troops risk success of Afghan Taliban talks. CNN again. President Biden has announced his decision to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan before September 11th, uh, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon that led the U.S. into its longest war. All right, let's, let, now let's look over the New York Times. Let's look over the New York Times. News analysis. The Taliban wanted the U.S. to leave Afghanistan. Turkey wanted the U.S. out of Syria, and North Korea wanted them to stop military exercises with South Korea. Trump has, to some extent, obliged all three, but without getting much in return. New York Times. We went to war in Afghanistan because of a horrific attack that happened 20 years ago, President Biden said. I'm announcing a full withdrawal from the country. That cannot explain why we should remain there in 2021. I mean, it just, go, it just goes on and on and on. The way, see, the, but this is a, a clinic in the propaganda from the Democrat media, you see. When, when Trump announces something, it's let's get all of the, quote, experts and former, you know, former uh, Obama regime officials and other, you know, internationalist foreigners uh, together. And, and let's have them trash the decision that Trump makes. But then the same decision under Biden, it's let's just let Biden's words be heard and let's present this as statesmanship. How anyone can think. That CNN still qualifies as a news organization that even makes a pretense of being objective is just is just beyond imagination. Right? I mean, how anyone could cling to such an obvious fiction is just flatly embarrassing. But there are people and a lot of them live here in New York where I am or they live in Washington, D.C. or They live in L.A. They still think CNN is, you know, where the real information and journalism gets done on china the administration's tough talk has been welcome but its proposal to cut defense spending after inflation suggests there's less interest in walking the walk will not keep pace with china and russia by cutting defense spending to placate fringe parts of the far left the american people need and they deserve a foreign policy that puts our security our partners and our interests ahead of the reflexive desire to break with the last four years at any cost, at any cost. If this administration wants a successful legacy on the world stage, if they want accomplishments that will endure, they need to put American strength back at the center and come back 
to a bipartisan mainstream. Ah, yes, Mitch McConnell, the bipartisan mainstream in our foreign policy, huh? That's what we're going to talk about now. Hmm. Now, when it comes to strength abroad, what what are the central principles, the central tenets of Trumpist foreign policy, if you will? It's America first, right? That's that's where you start from. So is is this in America's interest? Does this work? This decision work for the American people. And then beyond that, who are our friends? Who are our enemies? Do they know the difference? And does the difference matter? And that's a very straightforward place, I think, for us to start on, on all these issues. Russia right now, let, let's just take a look around. Russia is getting more aggressive against Ukraine, Is uh, has put out a very, a very clear saber-rattling statement about how the U.S. should not deploy some of its naval forces around Crimea. And now it's it's been reported today that Biden administration is actually backing off that, but going to announce more sanctions, more targeted sanctions and expelling some diplomats. Does anyone think that's going to do anything? You know, I mean, let's be honest here. We had four years of Russia hysteria. Now a Democrat comes into office and Russia's getting more aggressive than when Trump was in office against U.S. and NATO and, and European interests in general. But you're hearing it uh, a very muted criticism of what's going on here from the Democrat side of things, because what do they really want to do? Ultimately, the Democrat mindset about foreign policy runs into this problem. The world is a dangerous place and there are bad actors and bad people in it. And you have to be willing to make them face consequences for that. And they have to believe you're willing to do that. Otherwise, it's all just sitting around talking over lattes at, you know, Davos or in Brussels or wherever, having a bunch of diplomats, you know, chit chatting while the bad guys just do what they want to do. What do you think the Chinese approach is going to be to the Biden administration? I mean, I can tell you this right now. I I am. I am betting on Chinese ascendancy against this Biden foreign policy team for the next four years. And I don't like to say that as an American, but I think that's what we're heading for. And then on the Republican side, we need to remember that the foreign policy establishment for the GOP is still largely dominated by Bush holdovers and neocons and interventionists. People who think that, you know, U.S. military power should be projected around the world in ways that don't immediately benefit U.S. interests. And there's always another country to invade. I mean, I I look at Iran and I get worried because there are still people who think, you know, let's take this generally militarily insignificant and, and economically battered country and let's consider how we could maybe invade and overthrow and, and do a rock 2.0. There are still people, I can assure you, unfortunately, who believe that. More data coming out about where we are with vaccinations and how effective they are and what the risks are and everything else. And I don't know what to tell you. Then I keep being right and the Fauciites keep being wrong. It's, it's, it's a really consistent, a consistent situation at this point. It just continues on like that. And I'm hoping more and more people wake up to this. It's been so damaging the way that they've shut down our ability to actually speak about this on the or in the public forum that is the digital town square that the social media folks have made these decisions. But I'm, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing, even though it hurts. It hurts my bottom line, it hurts my reach, hurts my ability to push my podcast and other things out there on social media platforms, because I think this issue is too important. My own digital team, my own people say, Buck, you, you got to lay off the Fauci stuff or else, you know, we're going to get throttled. We're going to get shadow banned. We've already been. And I say, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to back off this. It's too important. It's also really important that you know how to take care of HR issues in your company effectively and inexpensively because when you're running a business, as you know, especially for all the small business owners out there listening to this right now, HR issues can kill you. You got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries are not cheap, paying about an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. 
You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash buck. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. The numbers are in on vaccine infection rate, meaning people who have been vaccinated and still have some COVID infection. Who wants to who wants to guess whether the numbers uh, indicate that this is something that justifies continued masking and other restrictions for those who are vaccinated? Who, who wants to guess? I'm just wondering you, you think you think it's incredibly rare, a little bit rare? Yeah. Point zero zero eight. If you do some back of the napkin math on this one, you've got about 60 some odd million Americans vaccinated so far. And 5,000 cases of infection, according to the CDC. That's that's where the number currently stands. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That's a pretty astonishing, uh, astonishingly low number of people who when And this is great news. Let me just say this is great news. We are now we're looking at real world data. And if you. If you get the vaccine, you got like a one in 10,000 chance of still getting infected. And if you get infected after getting the vaccine, your chances, you know, even less than that. I mean, I haven't crunched the numbers on that one, but maybe one in a one in a hundred thousand, maybe one in a million that you will die if you get covid after getting the vaccine. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of different layers here, a lot of different levels. If somebody is vaccinated and yes, they technically contract covid but they end up having a mild version of the disease. Okay, well, that's still a win, especially if they're an older person who is at higher risk. So why is there still this this uh, unease and this unwillingness to allow people to go back to normal life? Remember, Fauci said just recently, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't eat indoors, avoid congregate settings for vaccinated people. They are taking away your rights. They're taking away, and forget about even just your rights, they're taking away your ability to live a normal life based on one in 10,000 and above risk factors. They're taking away your ability to live a normal life because you're not allowed to make basic risk, risk analysis decisions for yourself. This is tyrannical. I mean, this is not, it's not an overstatement. This is crazy. These people are out of their minds and it's wrong what they're doing. It's wrong. And people should understand it as such. They're not, you know, careful, trying to just save all the lives and be a good public health servant or whatever. No, this is their mentality. The endless busybodying of the American people, the hall monitorization of America is almost complete now where you have people who really think that they should be walking around outside, double-masked after being vaccinated. And when people like me point out how stupid that is, I'm attacked. You don't care if people die. Social media shuts down my accounts. Fauci, uh, Fauci has had to address the rare instances of people who are vaccinated getting infected. I, I want to wa- I want to walk you through some of the the not so good doctor, the little fascist Fauci, the lab coat tyrant. I want to walk you through his explanation here, and then and then we can all talk about how okay, why are they coming to the conclusions they're coming to based on what we know about this? Here's how he starts. Thank you very much, Dr. Walensky. I'd like to spend a few minutes now talking about the concept of breakthrough infections. Can I have the first slide? I think it would be important to put this into perspective. It's very important. With some definitions. A breakthrough infection or a vaccine failure is when a person contracts an infection despite being vaccinated against it. We see this with all vaccines 
in clinical trials and in the real world, no vaccine is 100% efficacious or effective, which means that you will always see breakthrough infections regardless of the efficacy of your vaccine. Let's stop right there. There is no such thing as a 100% effective vaccine, okay? doesn't exist. So let's just remember that. So anyone who's saying, well, the vaccine's not 100% effective, that's never going to happen. It has never happened. It will never happen. So this is all about risk assessment and analysis. There is no perfect safety. Does not exist. So anyone who's saying, oh, but, you know, the vaccine, it's only 95%. There's still 5% of people get infected, so we still have to wear the masks. And They are emotionally unwell. They have been brainwashed. Okay, that's what's going on. That's the situation as it's playing out. So let's continue here with Fauci as he's explaining more about the truth of vaccines, uh, according to the CDC and the health experts out there. Here's what, what, what he says. There's primary vaccine failure when the body actually doesn't amount an adequate immune response for a number of reasons. Could be immune status, health status, age, medications you're on, or something wrong with the vaccine, storage, delivery, composition. Secondary vaccine failure may occur when immunity fades over time. Now, a vaccine may fail also if a person is exposed to a new or a different strain or a variant. For example, influenza is the most common of this, which mutates rapidly and drifts genetically, generally from season to season. However, even if a vaccine fails to protect against infection, it often protects against serious disease. Next. Now, now this is important. One area that I'm telling you there's been an intentional, there's been a decision not to update the public on is this notion of asymptomatic spread. Asymptomatic spread certainly does happen from what we know, but it's very difficult to separate truly asymptomatic spread from, say, pre-symptomatic spread, meaning that you're somebody like, for example, when I got COVID, I felt a little off, but I didn't feel sick, I would say, about a day or two before I got wrecked. And some of you who are listening to the show remember that I I essentially found out that I, I felt like I was really sick, and then I found out I had COVID while I was doing the radio show. But I had felt a little iffy for a day or two before then. And I was very concerned that I had seen some some uh, some friends and family members um, in that period of time and that I was worried that, that they could have been exposed. Fortunately, nobody I was in close contact with came down with any illness. Um, and I, I have both my parents are vaccinated. And I was a very happy day when, you know, the threshold period had passed when I didn't have to think about whether I, you know, my parents might have been exposed to covid unbeknownst to me that I had had it, but I was pre-symptomatic before I got, I got, you know, walloped by it. But we're led to believe that, oh, you could feel great. You could feel fine, 100%. And you're spreading COVID all over the place. Remember, when they look at the, the R number, R1 means you give it on average if you're sick to one other person. Uh, that's We're talking about giving it to one other person. And, and if you have a low level of virus in your system and your system's handling it very well, it is less likely that you will transmit this virus to other people. So why I think this really matters is that not because what you hear from people and, you know, I saw Tucker Carlson. He keeps digging in. and I appreciate that he's asking these questions. I appreciate that he's raising this. He keeps saying, why can't we go back to normal if the vaccine works? And I agree with this premise. The answer the left gives that the Fauciites give to this is because there's still so much virus out there that even a 5% failure rate of the vaccine is too high a risk for people to go about their lives who have been vaccinated. And to that, I say bullcrap. Now's where we have to start saying we balance out risk with, with our lives. Now's where we have to be willing to say enough is enough. We're not going to live, you know, in fear and because, if you're talking about getting rid of all COVID in the community to the point where we don't have to think about it, if you're talking about waiting until COVID 
is, you know, like uh, like polio or measles or something in this country, we are going to be going through lockdowns and mitigation and all this stuff for at least another year, maybe two or three. Who knows? Who knows? And then there's also the what about the what about the variants? Right. What about these other things? Next slide. If you look at these group of selected vaccines, take a look at the chicken pox through shingles, highly, highly effective vaccines. If you look at influenza, even on a very good year, it's 40 to 60 percent effective. But let's drill down on that for a second. Next slide, because it really is important to COVID, which I'll get into in a moment. The benefits of the flu vaccine and the importance of partial protection. If you get vaccinated, no doubt you're less likely to get the flu. But even if you do get flu and get sick, vaccination can reduce the severity and duration of illness and could help get you out of trouble. If you get a little bit more granular. Granular? Yeah. You see, friends, this is why they don't. This is why they don't want to have this debate in public now. This is why you won't see Fauci go on Tucker's show. Because what they'd have to say is, we are making arbitrary decisions about what is an acceptable percentage of risk of spread in society for you. And that they're unreasonable in this now. We know that you are your, your chance of giving someone COVID... I'm sorry, that's not even true. Your chance of getting COVID... If you're vaccinated, it's one in 10,000, give or take, based on the CDC's own numbers. Your chance of getting is one in 10,000. Your chance of giving it to somebody after that one in 10,000 is also lessened because you'll have less viral load in your system and you are less likely to be infectious. One of the reasons this is so deadly among seniors and has been so bad when it gets into nursing homes is that very critically ill people in the early phase of of the fight against the virus are shedding more virus. It has taken over more of their system. There's, There's a higher viral load that they're constantly expelling. And they're around those higher risk people. That's why it's so dangerous to the elderly. But the Fauciites will not allow an honest, open discussion about this because if if we're not at at a place now where we can agree that vaccinated people should go back to normal life, when are we ever going to be there? When our our health policy tyrants decide that it's okay again? I think that's I think that's unacceptable. I think that's not something that we can or should concede to them and it's it's time people finally push back and say this is madness. This is crap. We can't do this anymore. All right. They are they are psychologically breaking millions of people with this outsized fear campaign all the time. And the public health experts have failed. They have failed to protect us. Their ideas, their policies did not get it done. Just look at what happened over the last year. Enough is enough. Fauci's a bum and it's time for him to go.